This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Brown. The Age of Reason by Thomas Paine. Part 1st, Section 8. What more does man want to know than that the hand or power that made these things is divine, is omnipotent. Let him believe this with the force it is impossible to repel, if he permits his reason to act, and his rule of moral life will follow of course. The illusions in Job have, all of them, the same tendencies with this psalm, that of deducing or proving a truth that would be otherwise unknown from truths already known. I recollect not enough of the passages in Job to insert them correctly, but there is one occurs to me that is applicable to the subject I am speaking upon. Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty to perfection? I know not how the printers have pointed this passage, for I keep no Bible but it contains two distinct questions that admit of distinct answers. First, canst thou by searching find out God? Yes, because, in the first place, I know I did not make myself, and yet I have existence, and by searching into the nature of other things, I find that no other thing could make itself, and yet millions of other things exist. Therefore it is that I know by positive conclusion resulting from this search, that there is a power superior to all those things, and that power is God. Secondly, canst thou find out the Almighty to perfection? No, not only because the power and wisdom he has manifested in the structure of the creation that I behold is to me incomprehensible, but because even this manifestation, great as it is, is probably but a small display of that immensity of power and wisdom by which millions of other worlds, to me invisible by their distance, were created and continued to exist. It is evident that both these questions were put to the reason of the person to whom they are supposed to have been addressed, and it is only by admitting the first question to be answered affirmatively that the second could follow. It would have been unnecessary and even absurd to have put a second question more difficult than the first if the first question had been answered negatively. The two questions have different objects. The first refers to the existence of God, the second to his attributes. Reason can discover the one, but it falls infinitely short in discovering the whole of the other. I recollect not a single passage in all the writings ascribed to the men called apostles that conveys any idea of what God is. Those writings are chiefly controversial, and the subjects they dwell upon, that of a man dying in agony on a cross, is better suited to the gloomy genius of a monk in a cell, by whom it is not impossible they were written, than to any man breathing the open air of the creation. The only passage that occurs to me that has any reference to the works of God, by which only his power and wisdom can be known, 
is related to have been spoken by Jesus Christ as a remedy against distrustful care. Behold the lilies of the field, they toil not, neither do they spin. This, however, is far inferior to the allusions in Job and in the 19th Psalm, but it is similar in idea, and the modesty of the imagery is correspondent to the modesty of the man. As to the Christian system of faith, it appears to me as a species of atheism, a sort of religious denial of God. It professes to believe in a man rather than in God. It is a compound made up chiefly of manism with but little deism, and is as near to atheism as twilight is to darkness. It introduces between man and his maker an opaque body, which it calls a redeemer, as the moon introduces her opaque self between the earth and the sun, and it produces by this means a religious, or an irreligious, eclipse of light. It has put the whole orbit of reason into shade. The effect of this obscurity has been that of turning everything upside down and representing it in reverse, and among the revolutions it has thus magically produced, it has made a revolution in theology. That which is now called natural philosophy, embracing the whole circle of science of which astronomy occupies the chief place, is the study of the works of God, and of the power and wisdom of God in his works, and is the true theology. As to the theology that is now studied in its place, it is the study of human opinions and of human fancies concerning God. It is not the study of God himself in the works that he has made, but in the works or writings that man has made. And it is not among the least of the mischiefs that the Christian system has done to the world, that it has abandoned the original and beautiful system of theology, like a beautiful innocent, to distress and reproach, to make room for the hag of superstition. The book of Job and the 19th Psalm, which even the church admits it's to be more ancient than the chronological order in which they stand in the book called the Bible, are theological orations conformable to the original system of theology. The internal evidence of those orations proves to a demonstration that the study and contemplation of the works of creation and of the power and wisdom of God, revealed and manifested in those works, made a great part in the religious devotion of the times in which they were written. And it was this devotional study and contemplation that led to the discovery of the principles upon which they are now called sciences are established. And it is to the discovery of these principles that almost all the arts that contribute to the convenience of human life owe their existence. Every principal art has some science for its parent, though the person who mechanically performs the work does not always, but very seldom, perceive the connection. It is a fraud of the Christian system to call the sciences human invention. It is only the application of them that is human. Every science has for its basis a system of principles as fixed and unalterable as those by which the universe is regulated and governed. Man cannot make principles, he can only discover them. For example, 
every person who looks at an almanac sees an account when an eclipse will take place and he sees also that it never fails to take place according to the account there given this shows that man is acquainted with the laws by which the heavenly bodies move but it would be something worse than ignorance were any church on earth to say that those laws are a human invention it would also be ignorance or something worse to say that the scientific principles by the aid of which man is enabled to calculate and foreknow when an eclipse will take place are a human invention man cannot invent a thing that is eternal and immutable and the scientific principles he employs for this purpose must be and are of necessity as eternal and immutable as the laws by which the heavenly bodies move or they could not be used as they are to ascertain the time when and the manner how an eclipse will take place the scientific principles that man employs to obtain the foreknowledge of an eclipse or of anything else relating to the motion of the heavenly bodies are contained chiefly in that part of science which is called trigonometry or the properties of a triangle which when applied to the study of the heavenly bodies is called astronomy when applied to direct the course of a ship on the ocean it is called navigation when applied to the construction of figures drawn by rule and compass it is called geometry when applied to the construction of plans or edifices it is called architecture when applied to the measurement of any portion of the surface of the earth it is called land surveying in fine it is the soul of science it is an eternal truth it contains the mathematical demonstration of which man speaks and the extent of its uses is unknown it may be said that man can make or draw a triangle and therefore a triangle is a human invention but the triangle when drawn is no other than the image of the principle it is a delineation to the eye and from thence to the mind of a principle that would otherwise be imperceptible the triangle does not make the principle any more than a candle taken into a room that was dark makes the chairs and tables that before were invisible all the properties of a triangle exist independently of the figure and existed before any triangle was drawn or thought of by man man had no more to do in the formation of these properties or principles than he had to do in making the laws by which the heavenly bodies move and therefore the one must have the same divine origin as the other in the same manner as it may be said that man can make a triangle so also may it be said he can make the mechanical instrument called a lever but the principle by which the lever acts is a thing distinct from the instrument and would exist if the instrument did not it attaches itself to the instrument after it is made the instrument therefore cannot act otherwise than it does act neither can all the efforts of human invention make it act otherwise that which in all such cases man calls the effect is no other than the principle itself rendered perceptible to the senses since then man cannot make principles from whence did he gain a knowledge of them so as to be able to apply them not only to things on earth 
but to ascertain the motion of bodies so immensely distant from him as all the heavenly bodies are. From whence, I ask, could he gain that knowledge but from the study of the true theology? End of part 8